The Sarah Lawrence Theater Program works, learns, and lives on the land of the Lenape, Munsee, and Wappinger peoples. We pay respect to the ancestors past, present, and future. The Performance Lab podcast is invested in the sharing of knowledge and cultivation of curiosity between makers. We invite guest artists to lead a workshop with the MFA candidates of Sarah Lawrence College. After which, we interview them. We ask questions tailored to their individual practice, delving deeper into the how and the why of creation. Inspiration is all around us. But how do we hone in on the subjects that drive us? They share with us their tips, tricks, and sources of inspiration. Reflect on past performances and projects. And keep us up to date on what is next. Stay tuned for the Performance Lab podcast. Hello, my name is Andrew Delvecchio, and I'm a second-year grad candidate at Sarah Lawrence College for Theater. Hi, I'm Alex Goody. I'm a first-year candidate in the MFA in Theater at Sarah Lawrence College. And here today, we have Machine Dazzle. Machine Dazzle is an award-winning, multi-hyphenated visual designer and performer, described as conceptualist, as artist, meets DIY, meets glitter, rhymes with litter. Machine has been on the New York scene since 1994 with the Dazzle Dancers and is widely known for his collaborations with Taylor Mac. His work stands out as maximalist explosions of glitter, found object, and anything you can lay down with a hot glue gun. Welcome, Machine. Thank you. And it's true. And I forgot to tell you about the part like sun in Capricorn, moon in Scorpio, Virgo rising, long legs, blue eyes. I'm tall. I'm a brunette. I hope that works. Honestly, I've, I've never wished that this was a video podcast more than that introduction. For all the listeners, I wish you could have seen it. Um, thank you so much for being here today. Um, can we just start off with having you tell us a little bit about what you did with us in grad lab today. Mm-hmm. Hold on, I'm swallowing part of my pistachio muffin. All right, so um, when Caden first um, invited me, I wanted to I wanted to do something interesting. As much as I love to make things, um, I've learned in my career that sometimes haste makes waste when you don't know what you're making. What I like to do is think about things probably more than I should. And then I make something, but then I make something that is very considered and thoughtful and hopefully perfect for the reason that I'm creating it. I am not the kind of person that creates things without a reason. I don't make products. Um, I make art, I make moments. Um, ideas uh, become palpable. So um, the prompt that I gave the students today was I, I asked them to choose a found object or find an object, bring a found object. Also, I asked them to consider an experience that they have had personally. Also, I asked them to come with a purpose. That's what I asked. Uh, the prompt is, so the found object represents what you have to work with um, in a given situation. Um, the experience informs you through your history, your, is, uh, your experience is kind of your education, uh, which informs how you go about things. Your purpose is the reason why you're doing it. The purpose is to come with the reason. What are you fighting for? Who are you? Um, how are you making the world a better place? That's your purpose. Um, and I believe that's very important 
as an artist. Um, if you're going to give someone a story, you need a reason to tell them the story. We're going somewhere, right? At least that's the kind of art that I appreciate. And so lastly, how do the found object, your experience and your purpose relate? Or how can you relate them? Uh, you're making a theater piece. So out of your found object, your experience and your purpose, um, give me a costume design. What happens when you mix these things together? Give me a set design. And chances are the story is going to just happen. How about sound effects? How about lighting? How does your found object, your personal experience and your purpose come together to make a theatrical experience? That's what we did in the lab. And um, at first we went around, introduced um, ourselves and everyone showed their found object. And then once we really got going, we went student by student. And I, I said, look, don't think about it too much. Uh, considering everything, considering the prompt, what's the costume that comes to mind? What are we wearing? What are we wearing? You know, how do you wear this experience? How do you wear your purpose? Um, how does this uh, found object help the design? Um, I love making decisions. Um, as an artist, I, I like, I love ideas. Um, when I design a costume, uh, that costume, that actor is wearing ideas. It's not really a garment, definitely not a product. It's probably not domestic looking. It's something else that happened out of this uh, ethereal place that, that I designed. Um, and it, it's purposeful. Sometimes, you know, sometimes this kind of design just happens. This is how I think. Um, so I, I guess ultimately I was trying to give the students a light into how I design and how I make my decisions. I don't, uh, uh, you know, these, these ideas, they come from experiences. They come from things that I want to see in the world. Um, I love found objects. A found object isn't necessarily a piece of garbage on the street. Um, it's something that you come across that inspires you immediately. It's like, oh, I gave the example in class. Um, there I was in the New York City subway um, post Halloween. And um, I leaned up against this wall and someone had put their fake eyelashes, just smashed them up on the wall. And I looked and it's like, it's almost like the wall was looking at me, batting its eyelashes. That was like, kind of like a fun little like, oh, that's fun. It's immediately a costume. It's immediately a set idea. It's immediately like a concept. And it like totally took me, it's like, is someone trying to tell me something? It's like, you know, the brick wall of the subway was personified all of a sudden. It was, um, almost like a, like a new experience and it was like a surprise and I'm like oh my god it's like I could almost have you know a, a conversation with this character what did <laughs> what did the tall nerd say to the brick wall you know <laughs> that kind of stuff, uh, thing and plus I, I I introduced humor um I didn't introduce everyone knows what humor is but I I offered humor as it's as something that always works um, uh, laughter is healing. Um, we need more of that in the world. Um, it's good to laugh at the theater. Um, if they're not laughing, if they're not reacting, ooh, bad, make people laugh. Feels good to laugh. Um, laughter works.
in any situation because we like you know it works in every area of design too costume set props lighting music it's all connected did i answer the question <laughs> i'm probably yes. going i'm probably going to ask that after every time i answer because i told you that i ramble i told you yeah <laughs> no it's lovely it's lovely i um yeah i'm enamored with uh with this found object uh experience especially being in new york you know it like you find so many gems just walking down the street like of your neighborhood you know and I was in Brooklyn. It's like everyone stoops everything. So Lord, the things you find. Uh -huh. um, yeah. I'm, so I know that you got your start in New York with the Dazzle Dancers, but you also came to New York at a time, like I was in New York in the mid 2000, uh, teens, 2000s. Um, and so like the nineties, New York, you know, East village, uh, like club kids scene, you know, it feels so, far away, but also so close. And I'm just curious as to how entering the scene at that time, especially coming off, like, well, not even coming off, but being in the midst of the AIDS crisis and being like a young queer person and designing and being an artist, how do you think that informed your work? Well, I think it's, um, it's directly related to why I moved to New York in the first place. Um, I definitely come from a place where I was not allowed to be myself. Um, I wasn't allowed to make my own decisions. This is both family and society. And uh, when I chose to move to New York, when I bought that one-way ticket at the Student Union Center, University of Colorado, it was really the first decision I'd ever made for myself. And that was um, after a decade of this really harsh um, AIDS uh, pandemic. And, um, you know, coming out as gay during that time, you know, in the 80s, it's like coming out as gay is almost like saying that you have AIDS. Back then, everything was very ignorant. AIDS and gay, were the, it was synonymous. It made, didn't make it any easier to come out. Of course, um, it's never really been that easy. I mean, sometimes I think, oh, it's easy, easier for kids. I do think that there are a lot more um, queer icons these days. There's a lot. We have internet now. Um, you can connect. You, there's a lot more information about everything at your fingertips now. That's something that people didn't used to have. I didn't have that. And certainly the generations before me. And it's funny how, you know, the question of coming to New York in the 90s, I first saw images of New York, you know, I was born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s and, you know, into the 90s. And I had a certain vision of New York. And when I first, and it was, and I remember some of it was like, oh my God, like Madonna dancing, you know, and, you know, scenes of like, I'm desperately seeking Susan as an example, such a good movie. It's actually a really good movie. Like watch it. And the soundtrack is good. Anyway. I, when I first got to New York, I thought, I was like, there are things that I had missed, you know? And it's funny, I'm working at the theater for the new city right now, um, working on Taylor Max The Hang, we're in rehearsals. And I was walking through the East Village um, yesterday morning and this morning, and I'm like, you know, I don't live in that neighborhood anymore. It was a lot different when I moved to New York City in 1994. Um, here it is, 2021. And I'm walking through and I'm like, God, I don't recognize any of these businesses. There are some that are still there, but I'm like, wait, it's just like, it's different now. I was like, where's a cute cafe? I was on like first Avenue. I'm like, I feel like in between walking from Astor Place subway stop 
to theater for the new city, I should have like walked by uh, like some kind of like a cute cafe that's attractive to go into to me. And, um, you know, just like get a cup of coffee. It's like, I had to pull out my phone. I'm like cafe near me. I'm like, why do I have to do this? I used to know where I could go. Um, those places aren't there anymore. And, you know, the city is just a place that always changes. And something that I really didn't know that I learned much later, um, I didn't consider, I was, I don't want to say I was being selfish. Uh, I moved to New York because I needed to survive. That's my truth. I needed to finally be who I am and I needed a space to do it. And I felt like New York would give me that. I admit that I was in culture shock when I first got here. It's not what I thought. Um, I'm still glad I made the decision. I'm still here. What I didn't consider then that, that I know now is I was a young gay artist, person coming to the city, looking for my future. And all of a sudden occupying space in a culture where this gay culture that had just been devastated by this pandemic. And there I was new, I represented the new, you know, like life goes on, right? Life goes on. And I, 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 probably could have been a little more sensitive to that and to those older gay people and their friends, that whole gay community. When I first moved to New York, um, I remember moving here and I was just had a zest for life and I wasn't letting anything get in my way. I finally started my life. Oh my God, I'm so happy to be in New York. And I arrived in, you know, an art world, a gay world, a world of design where people, uh, had just, you know, some people had lost everything. Some people had lost all of their friends. Um, people were still in trauma. People are still in trauma about it. Um, people, you know, you don't get over losing so many people. Um, I know that now. I didn't realize it then. I was young. And and so it's interesting. Uh, and that, but that's the, you know, that's the cycle of life. Of course, there's like people, things get old. They move on. They go away. The younger things, the new things come the same thing happens. And then like 20 years, those people who are young now, they're gonna be like, oh, right. I remember the East Village in 2021. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a never ending cycle. The city keeps changing. Everything keeps changing, except for those cute places that time forgot that you, every now that you, you have them. So I, when I first moved to New York, I was finally making decisions. And I had, at that point, my entire life, all, everything that I'd ever wanted to do, all, all these things that never had an outlet, all of a sudden they did have an outlet. And I didn't stop myself. I was just, I was making things. Um, and even though my first real performance experience was with the Dazzle Dancers, um, I started uh, making things for myself in a very experimental gender fuck way. I would just make things for myself, which is why the Dazzle Dancers actually asked me to start making costumes for them. I was experimenting with drag, with costume, with my body. Um, I was trying to like see, like, you know, like I got my first pair of high heels. I was wearing wigs. Like I wasn't sure if like, should I wear a bra? Should I tuck myself? Should I alter my body? These are all things I was really like experimenting with. At the end of the day, I realized 
look, I have a body. I'm just gonna like use my body. I don't, I'm, a, I'm not the kind of person to pad myself or tuck myself. I'm like, I'm gonna use my natural body and just work with what I have. And then just like wear things. I can like be myself and then be other simultaneously. And then we get into a whole question. Well, it, what's other? What's myself versus other? Isn't it just an extension of myself? It's a different version of myself. I don't know whether, I mean, am I having fun? How seriously do I take this? Um, I don't know. I was experimenting with life itself. It was beyond sexuality because I don't get dressed up because of my sexuality. I get dressed up because I like to do it. It's funny how those like certain, uh, it's funny how sexuality plays into that though. It's an interesting conversation. It's like, oh, you know, there's so many drag queens in the gay culture and queer culture. Why is that? Well, queer culture, as we know, you know, is other, you know, anti-status quo, you know, stuff like that. But I, but then, I mean, it gets loaded. It gets loaded. There's so many different kinds of drag. There's queer, crazy drag. There's a term, Brooklyn drag. <laughs> when I first heard that, I was like, okay, you know, there's queer drag, there's mainstream drag, there's um, all different kinds of drag, you know? And so, and it, but it's, I don't know, somehow it's like linked into sexuality at the same time, even though I personally don't find it sexy. Um, it has nothing to do with my sex life. It's something that I do. And it's, it seems to be popular in a certain group of people who share sexuality as a common thread. Interesting. Like when I was a little kid, I loved Mommy Dearest. This is before the movie with Faye Dunaway about uh, Joan Crawford's life. I didn't know that I was gay then. <laughs> um, and I think it's very interesting. It's like, why was I obsessed with this movie? Why are gay men? Why is this campy thing? Why are they obsessed with this movie? With the story? What? It's it's deeper than you think it is. It's really not a superficial thing. What are we attracted to abuse? Are we attracted to um, strong characters? Um, are we just attracted to drama? What's the deal? But it's deeper, it's, this is not a surface thing. It's deeper than you might think. Why was I attracted to these things, these like campy things before I even, knew about myself sexually. I always knew I was different. It's not until you reach puberty that you know that you're attracted to this or that. And then, you know, and then you get started, you know, the derogatory terms just start flying at you from right and left. Uh, you know, there was a moment in my life during puberty where they, people didn't know like what sex I was. Um, like I was the last person to lose my baby fat. I was the last person for my voice to drop and get low. <gasps> Facial hair, you know, and I was walking around. I didn't know what I was. I didn't, you know, and it, not, it shouldn't matter. But I will say it, in society, it's like you walk down the street, you look at someone, probably the first thing you recognize about them is like what sex they are. And what I really love right now is this is amazing um, queer revolution for trans people where it's like, we don't, you know, maybe we shouldn't, maybe that shouldn't be the first consideration. Maybe that's not the first defining factor. That's, you know, that's a very big thing when you think about it, uh, because it's almost like, I was, it's related to so many things. 
Um, see, I told you that I ramble, but it's like, okay, you see someone, am I attracted? I mean, okay, what sex is it? What am I attracted to? How can I relate to that person? What can I, you know what I mean? Wait, is it a man or is it a woman? Okay, wait, I, okay I'm gay, so I, I like the man. Oh, is it a man? Okay, ooh, am I attracted to him? Oh, wait, is there a possibility? Is he wearing a ring? <laughs> and if he is wearing a ring, does it matter? <laughs> you, know, you know, all of the possibilities. I'm a maximalist. I think about all of these things all the time while I'm sitting here eating my pistachio muffin from some place at the Grand Central Station. Did I answer the question? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I think so. Yeah. I mean, like, I am very intrigued by maximalism. And I and I think maximalism is actually in a way very queer because it is there's so much about it that it's just too much or it allows for everything. Ex exactly. And I think a lot of times in sort of a heteronormative sensibility, it's like we want to it's like kind of going back to, you know, things that are queer canon. It's like they're queer canon because sometimes it's, it's too camp. It's too strong of a female character. It's, it's too much glitter. It's, you know, there's something about it that's too much or that's confusing to the normative eye. So like, yeah, very much a queering like of the theatrical space via maximalist lens. Yeah, I like it, it's thrill. It's thrill. I mean, like it's thrilling. I, I like I like I like more things, more stuff, and more. I guess like yeah, always more, always more. more. And, yeah, and like, do you think in terms of you know, kind of thinking about where you started, and then kind of now that you're here at this point in time, and you're working with Taylor Mac, um, you're you're designing a lot. You're no longer are you? I believe you're no longer designing jewelry. No, um, not jewelry. I mean, I feel like I could design jewelry at every time. I fell into it. Um, I had been out of the country for like a year traveling in India. I came back to India. I was from India and I was broke. And I'm like, a friend of mine was like, hey, my boss is hiring. He's looking for an assistant. He's a jewelry, has a jewelry design company. He's like, are you interested? I'm like, well, yeah, I need a job. I went to the interview and the interview went really well. I had zero jewelry experience they hired me because i'm good with my hands and i'm open to things and they saw that i had a certain rawness that they could mold i'm very chameleon i can fit into i can do that i can do that i'm very they saw that i was a very capable person and useful and i wanted to and then i ended up working there for 15 years at first as a design assistant and then actually as a designer in a, in a commercial way, not high, it wasn't like a huge company, but yeah, that was my full-time day job for like 15 years. Wow. Anyway. Wow. That's amazing. So mm. how did, do you feel like, do you feel like any of your, like the jewelry design has come into your work on stage and like your work as a performer? Absolutely. In fact, when I first started doing dresses, it's like these dresses are really just large necklaces. <laughs> Hang it around the neck, it covers all of the bits, it's a dress. Uh, having that job was really, it was, uh, see, I didn't go to school for design. Um, design is a more of a learned thing. I feel like art happens naturally. Design is like, seems a little more learned. My, my personal experience. So having that job was almost like the design education that I never had. 
Um, I learned, uh, and jewelry is kind of like miniature sculpture. It's, it is sculpture and it's fashion um, and it's costume. It has everything, there's a lot in there. And so you you deal with shapes, um, you deal with design, making decisions, what looks good together, color, everything. Um, then there's the business aspect to it. Um, and so certainly, in terms of uh, learning how to mix materials and seeing colors and seeing proportion, it was a, you know it was like a daily exercise in all of that, and it was my job, um, and I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. You know, we can talk about you know you know having a boss, you know not you know not being able to go any further in the company, which happened pretty early. <laughs> and so I was there and I wanted to make more money. I wanted to do more, you know, but I was kind of uh, capped in that company. It was a small company and I wasn't going to go anywhere else. Um, I would have to own the company for me to, you know, get any further. And uh, I want to grow. Some people find a job and they have it the rest of their life. Fine. I, there are things that I wanted to do. And uh, so I moved on. But it still looks good on my resume that I was at a job for 15 years. And I imagine they had plenty of reason to fire me and I had plenty of reason to quit, but it didn't happen. You know, we ended up needing each other, I guess. And, uh, you know, I guess I was useful enough. I don't think I've ever, I've never been fired in my life. How satisfying it could be to get fired. It just won't let me go. <laughs> I, I love the power of, of quitting before they can fire me. Yeah. No, well, that's... I don't know if I've gotten myself close to being fired, but, yeah. but I haven't found out yet. So. Right. Right. Uh, with the last couple of minutes, is there anything that you'd like us to, to know about stuff you're working on things that people can look forward to and going to see um, your work? Sure. So um, I am working with Taylor Mack and Matt Ray on their next show called The Hang which is part of the Prototype Festival, opens in January 2022. It runs for two months. I'm the scenic designer and the costume designer and maker. And that's something I want people to know. It's like, I don't just design the things, I make the things. Um, because there are people who design and then somebody else makes it. I'm both. Um, I'm the both. I am currently working on a film. Working title is now. Um, with Godfrey Reggio. Philip Glass is doing original music. It's going to be very interesting um, making costumes for that. And I might make an appearance in it. I might. What I am really looking forward to is my exhibit, my first solo exhibit um, at a museum, which will be at the Museum of Arts and Design in Columbus Circle. And that will open in September of 2022 during Fashion Week. And um, as it is now, I'll occupy two floors for about six months. One of the floors will be uh, the costumes that I made for Taylor and myself for our famous 24 decade history of popular music show, which we toured all over the world. And, um, uh, Taylor was decorated, you know, with a Kennedy Award, a MacArthur Fellow, and an Ibsen uh, Award, which sure is, you know, doesn't get much better than that. And uh, so they're they're part of a very a very a great show, and I'm very proud of them. And then my other floor will be a combination of things that I've worn. I love to take my art to the streets, um, but things that I've made for Justin Vivian Bond. Um, I had a show at the Guggenheim called Treasure. It was a rock and roll cabaret, and I had a fashion show in the middle of that, which was Fashion Week in 2019 before the great 
pandemic of our time. And uh, I don't know, other collaborations that I've had and uh, ephemera, dazzle dancer costumes will be there. Um, none of the original ones exist. I'll be remaking something. Sometimes you have to fake it. And uh, that's, um, that's a very interesting experience, putting a, a major exhibit together of your own work. And then there's a catalog and dealing with all of these people and going through old pictures and realizing you came from the wrong era before high res was an <laughs> was kind of important uh, because, you know, how they used to do it, you needed like a negative or a slide um, to get like a really high quality image for catalog. And, you know, nobody does that anymore. <laughs> you know, you need like high res, you know, from a phone or a computer, you know, a major uh, digital camera. So um, it's interesting. Um, and so is life, you know, you move on, things get discarded, some things are lost, and but you have this amazing future to look forward to. And I hope everyone comes to my show, which will be from September, 2022 to February, 2023. Thank you so much for coming in and doing this. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for having me. Oh, it was a pleasure, so fun. Again, I wish, I wish this was a video thing right now, all of us just having a party. So. Didn't you like? Didn't you didn't like secretly video record it? I wish I, I do. Act, yo, we'll have it. So we'll see. Maybe maybe the Instagram will get a blooper reel. Everybody. Yes. <laughs> Let's do it. The Performance Lab podcast was brought to you by Contemporary Performance Network in association with the Sarah Lawrence College Theater MFA program. For more information, please visit our websites at www.contemporaryperformance.com or www.slctheater.com.